too busy. A Snickers is too busy. But a, Mus- a Three Musketeers is, is kind of just garbage. And, and you, can, <laughs> you can at me on this. <laughs> Welcome to C-Lab, the Customer Education Lab, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its tracks. I'm Adam Evermescu. And I am Dave Darrington. And oh, well, let's make this let's make this true. Today's a mini episode. We're going to be doing this raw, uh, flubs and all. Just to yeah, prove a point. as you could just hear, we're going to be talking over each other a ton. Yep, not like we usually do. We're usually pretty good about it. So let's see how good we could do throughout. Um, as many organizations are all telling you on the internet, I don't know, Adam, how many of these emails you've gotten, but I've gotten a lot of them saying, "Hey, COVID nineteen. This is what we're doing in this time of crisis. Everybody's dealing with this." And we thought. We take a little bit of time to talk together candidly about how we as customer education professionals are responding here and how we're helping out. Um, add things that we think may help you out in difficult times. Yeah, so, it's kind of a trying time for for all of us here, certainly just because of the the mood in the world. And, and I don't know who will listen to this episode perhaps long after this crisis has, has resolved and maybe be in a, in a hopefully different mindset. But I, I think today we'll, we'll be talking, first of all, to people who are in the middle of it, but we'll also make some, we'll have some thoughts about what the world is going to look like afterwards and maybe some, some larger trends that might come about for, for education professionals. It's really hard for us to see beyond the, the trees right now and really see the forest. But Dave, you and I are, are going to try pretty candidly today, right? We're going to try. And I'm actually kind of excited about this. I, I feel like this is, if anything, our time to shine. Um, but before we do, before we go ahead, let's do our national day of. What are the days, uh, what are the national day ofs today? Well, today, Dave, it is National Nougat Day. Nougat. Yeah. What, what's your favorite nougat-based um, mm. confection? Twix comes to mind. You know, those, Does Twix have crunchy, nougat? Yeah, it has nougat. I'm pretty sure it's good. Oh yeah, it does. Doesn't it's like it's a, it's got a cookie, and then there's new. Is it no? It's caramel and cookie. Where's the nougat? Oh, maybe you're right. So maybe we're talking three musketeers. Three musketeer. Three musketeers is all nougat, and then uh, Snickers is nougat, peanut, and mm. caramel. I think, and then you've got the Milky Way right in the middle, which is just nougat and caramel, and I think that's actually <laughs> the perfect blend of too busy. A Snickers is too busy. But a, mus- a Three Musketeers is, is kind of just garbage. And, and you, can, <laughs> you can at me on this. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, that's went down a dark road with nougat. Well, not a dark road. I'm, I'm kind of getting hungry now. <laughs> We've got to keep things light somehow. So um, <laughs> let's, let's get into this, Dave. Um, maybe we can start by talking about the, the situation that we're in right now with COVID-19 and the trend, what, what customer education professionals are really being asked to do. Sure, and let's tag team this. So let's let's do kind of like a lightning round. Let's talk about the situation, and perhaps we'll interject our own thoughts as we go. Well, I hope this will be entirely our own thoughts. Um, you know, usually usually we're just reading from a script that's been written to, uh, by other people. No, I'm kidding. It's it's always our thoughts. <laughs> All right, so let's 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 start with a thought. Right now, um, the situation that I think many of us have found ourselves in is that we are in the midst of the world's largest and most comprehensive work from home experiment. So everyone is working from home. It's taking a a toll on the types of interactions people would have had face to face. It's mm-hmm. forcing a lot of us to start to get really scrappy about how we communicate on video or through other channels. Um, and it's also, it means that people are taxed for attention. So it's, it's changing the way that they work and the way that they learn. Yeah, it, it's pretty incredible. And when you think about it, you step back and you go, everybody, everybody is hitting this work from home. I, I looked at a meme the other day where it was somebody who was a veteran work from home person giving recommendations and advice to someone who's never done it before. A lot of laughing. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. It's a transition. So our work patterns, our businesses are disrupted all over the place. Some companies are really slowing down to a, a total absolute crawl, but... For example, we work with a company that's dealing a platform for sales. So we're seeing all ends of the spectrum. Some companies are saying, 
we're just going to put it on a pause. But many others, like telemedicine and other companies that are out there, uh, Zoom, for example, would be a company that is really, this is their time to, to really show what they've got. So it depends on where you're at. We have different narratives for each. Yeah. And if you think about customer education, a lot of, of customer education really is about customer onboarding. And, you know, even just looking at the, the customer education Slack community that a lot of us are in, we saw some questions about, well, what do I do right now when customer onboardings are slowing to a crawl because, you know, we're, we our, our software or our product is being deprioritized versus a company like, like Zoom. Uh, you know, I think that's a great example, Dave. Like people are, coming on to platforms that enable remote work in droves and mm-hmm. it's unprecedented customer volume that includes my employer as well yeah, but what so do, what do we know we we know that that people are going to have to think differently regardless of volume so one is that on-site training international training these these big business face-to-face trips they're not going to be a thing for a long while no are you are you doing any any sort of uh, synchronous work right now Dave no um and actually, I, I'm I'm heartened by the response that our company made, and I'm sure a lot of companies that you work with are the same way. We stopped cold. As soon as we were aware of what was going on, we have a lot of trainers that go out in the field, and they go all over the world, and we stopped. And it was very disruptive, particularly from an international perspective. I could tell you several different companies were like, what do you mean you can't come over right now? Oh, yeah, well, you shouldn't come over. And, and they were still resistant. Um, but that's disruptive because, uh, as, as much as I hate to say it, we do a lot of live training in our organization. It's because we need to, and because that high fidelity in person touch is, is great in a lot of conditions. So now we're pivoting away from that more to a virtual and on demand format. So it's, it's kind of crazy. How about you? Yeah. Similar, similar for us in the sense that we, um, we shut down our offices and limited non-essential business travel actually before the shelter in place order was issued here mm-hmm. in the San Francisco Bay area. And before it was issued in, in California, we wanted to take a really um, proactive approach and make sure that our employees were, were feeling safe. And because we have uh, a product ourselves that enables a lot of remote collaboration, <laughs> no. it, it became a big <laughs> experiment for us as well to make sure that we could, um, that we could adapt. But from a training perspective, actually, our team there there are teams who were doing quite a bit of face to face on site customer visits, like our CSMs, for instance. Yeah. They would go on site with a customer and host a Slack day or or some event like that. But uh, our team, enterprise customer learning, we actually have been using a primarily virtual, remote, uh, in Slack based facilitation, which I, I can mm. talk about in in a moment. We've been using that for a while, and part of that is. Um, to actually showcase the power of Slack as a way to host a remote event and to to generate interactivity. So we didn't have to make as many changes specifically around the approach that our team took on a mm-hmm. on a general level, but certainly we've seen um, you know an increased demand from customers, uh, and so we're figuring out how to get them launched quicker than than they might otherwise. Well, that's super cool. Well, you know, in the the in the spirit of keeping brief. Um, Let's keep moving on. The The next one, and this is something that personally touches me on several different levels, is how not only businesses, but schools are making a shift to online. And I, this is really cool to me. I have a daughter who's in at going to university right now. And I have two children, one's in elementary school, one's in, in well, coming into middle school. They're all struggling. And it, because in Seattle area, the school's closed with nothing other than some packets. So they sent the kids home. Uh, elsewhere at university level, a lot of the schools are closed, but now going to telepresence, to online, on-demand kind of stuff. And I can tell you this, um, the university experience, I, I'm, some of you out there may have kids in university or maybe going to university and be okay with this, but there's a lot of them are caught literally with their pants down. They, It's not that they don't have the tools. It's more that the educators there don't express in this mode. They don't do this kind of virtual or on-demand learning, and it's really throwing them for a loop. What what kind of experiences are you here hearing about? Yeah, I mean, we're we're working with a lot of higher education uh, institutions as well, who are who are finding themselves really quickly making this shift. Uh, and and you know, I think you called it out. They're they're being asked to do it quickly, but 
they don't necessarily have the capability or the infrastructure or the technique to be able to to do it in a way that's ideal. So I, I kind of feel like everyone is just 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 learning how to figure this out and also figuring out whether this is going to be the new normal for them, right? We've had mm-hmm. a trend towards the idea of online learning for a long time, but we've always had the fallback of saying, but you can also go and, and learn in the classroom. And now that <laughs> that's being taken off the table, everyone has to rethink that really quickly, huh? Yeah, and it's hard that, it, particularly people that have always been doing the the on in-person stuff, because when you're online, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, when you're online, it's very different. There are other, there's a lot more cognitive load in a different context if you don't have a partner to help you out, for instance. There's other things you have to monitor. So unless you're well-versed in that and you can handle all those different input streams, it's tough. So what else do yeah, we got? And it- it means it means we have to be okay with with imperfection. Well, the other yep. thing that I'm seeing right now is that there are many companies who are doing their part to to give back. There, mm-hmm. admittedly, there are some who are just capitalizing on the opportunity, which I, I think is a little bit disgusting to uh, <laughs> you know send like COVID prospecting emails or or things like that. But there there are a lot of companies I think who are are taking the high road here and really just trying to help their customers who are making the shift. So a lot of LMSs I'm seeing are. Um, either providing tips and coaching for how to transition to remote learning. Um, again, my employer Slack has released a lot of uh, really helpful webinars and yeah. uh, articles and blog posts that uh, help people understand how to transition to remote working if that's something they're looking to do. Honestly, I think the best thing that a that a company can do at this point, um, aside from matching uh, donations and, and doing their part to give back to the community would be to really help educate people who are making the switch and just don't know how to do it. Yeah. And that's what, what uh, are you, what are you doing, Dave? Uh, we're doing all kinds of things. I, I wanted to share that on a personal level. I actually reached out to a university that I used to, to teach at and I said, Hey, do you need help? I would be willing to have a zoom and talk to any of your teachers who aren't familiar with this and help out. Um, at, at Outreach, I'm, I'm pretty heartened by what we're doing, what our approach is. We've taken a little bit more time uh, to get ready because our team wanted to have more of a holistic approach and not just say, hey, we're doing COVID stuff. No, we're, we have a series of blogs, which are followed up by webinars, which are going to be followed up by training that my team will do. And they all inter, interrelate. Yes, we've, we haven't spent a tremendous amount of time to make them look perfect, um, but we are spending some time to make sure they're coherent. And, and, and it's really hard because I know that the personas that we work with, who are typically salespeople, for example, um, SDR manager um, who is working with you know, sales, sales reps who are cold calling, how do I manage a team remotely when they've all been there with me, right? Or an account exec, and that account exec is used to going and walking into a customer site. And now they go, oh my gosh, now what do I do? And we're trying to, to pivot to say, well, we've got these tools now. This is how we express, and this is how you use them for in this other modality. So that's um, it, it's pretty cool. And there's other things you can do. I know that um, we, we've worked and from an organizational level with a, a manager coach, and she reached out to me one day and said, hey, I know you do this education thing a lot of online. How, how do I – how do I do that? How can I have more meetings online? How can I do workshops and webinars? And that that was fun. It's really cool to be able to help people like that. How about you? Yeah, I, I think there's yeah there's there's a couple of roles that we can really play in terms of giving back. One is helping to, to you know the point you made earlier, mm-hmm. helping people realize and figure out how to take the thing they do and bring it online. Like if if that's what your company does, you can run webinars, you can run educational mm-hmm. programs to help them learn how to how to use your product or maybe even just do their job in a different way um, to to react to the way that the, the world has very quickly changed. But as customer educators, because we have the ability to educate, we can also help uh, people understand how to educate people online, right? So if, if, if we know how to do it, we can help pay it forward as well. And I hope that that's we something that we can do here on, on today's episode as well, too, if we have any tips to share. Yeah, that's, uh, this is a call to action again for us that, like I said, is our time to shine. We're used to these modes and methods and people in customer education. If, if you haven't done it already, you're doing it now. This is how we communicate. So yeah, let's let's get out there, help others. It, it, it's job security. And in other words, I, I don't think we're ever going to return to a full normal like we have been. I think people really understand this is the this is the push to really make on demand and virtual a thing. 
it'll it'll definitely be a lasting effect. Not not that live courses will never come back. Of course they will, but I think after this, you're right. We'll see a lot more, um, a lot more virtual, a lot more online, a lot more uh, asynchronous. So I think that means as people start to make those transitions, we really need to set expectations for the content creators out there who are new mm-hmm. to the online format. Uh, maybe instructional designers who have been working on a lot of classroom courses uh, now are going to be asked to do e-learning. And as customer educators, we need to start setting expectations for students who might not be used to online learning and think about how they're going to approach that. Oh, my goodness. And and that's a big one. I, I know, and I don't want to put my daughter on the spot, but she does bring up an invalu- valuable point. We were talking last night about this, and she said, you know, it's, Dad, it's really hard because now I'm, I'm staying up later, and I know I'm bad, and I shouldn't do that. Um, and then sometimes when I get on a call, here I am in my, you know, T-shirt and shorts. And, you know, you're, you're not like I do right now. And this is actually kind of hard. One of the expectations you should set is, hey, just bring your office self. Get, have a workspace. Get dressed. Comb your hair. <laughs> go outside yeah. for a walk. Um, it's, it's very important that we take care of ourselves. But it's also you're still working. So still stay in that modality. And that's one of the, the expectations I set with people. You're home, but now let's treat it just like we're at work. And then we teach them how to use the tools and how to understand it. And we're going to get into some of those things as we go further in this episode. Yeah. So Dave, let's let's talk maybe to folks who are bringing their content online and really thinking about how am I going to approach online learning? Um, I think something people think about as they're first making that transition is, well, I'm used to having all my people face-to-face in a classroom or, or maybe some other format. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of those common challenges, Dave, with online learning? Oh, there's a lot. Let, let me run down some of the lists that you and I had been talking about. Uh, number one, time. You're seeing, and just think about this, we're getting all of this, hey, I have a webinar, I have a webinar, I have a webinar. I don't have time to go to all these things. So when when you're sending those things out as a company, as an organization, you got to be cognizant of the fact that people, that's a lot of noise. Um, but just let me run down some other things. You know, people are multitasking more now. People are distributed and they've got a lot of distractions. Um, there are, you know, uh, there are other things like, uh, well, we also have to keep up to date with our product. So let's let's dive down into a, into a few of these things. We're where do you think you'd like to start? What's what's most yeah. what calls well, your most attention? You you well, speaking of attention, let's talk about attention, right? There's attention. there's a whole myth what? that we're what? able to multitask. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. No, th- right, we, we we all think we can multitask, but how many times have you been on a meeting or a training? And I, I think sometimes training professionals are the worst about this. Um, but you're you're on a training and then all of a sudden you've navigated to your your email or your DMs and then uh, you have missed, like you, you've, you've just had a, a blackout and, and you, you've missed all of the content that was in there because you thought you could multitask and do both things at the same time. We, we know we can't, right? We can't. We can't. It's, it's really hard. You know what I've been doing, Adam, is I've been trying to bring my attention to that fact. And it's hard. This is super hard because as a manager of a team of educators, I'm trying to deal with a lot of different things. But I'm getting to the point now where I cut out all the distractions. I, you know, take my hands off the keyboard and I focus on that Zoom meeting and what people are saying, or I'm taking notes. And that is so hard for me, even because I know I like to think a lot of things. And you're so tempted because, well, for me, I might have a kid run through the room or somebody screaming upstairs because I got into a fight or somebody comes to the door of my house. So it's chaos. And, and it's that that's hard. So I'm, I'm trying to isolate myself, set times for myself when I know I'm not going to be distracted. Um, how about you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I do a lot of the same things. I don't, I don't have kids, so they, uh, they can't come in and photobomb my meetings, but <laughs> <laughs> I, as, as a participant in meetings, I really do just focus on, on staying present, uh, present and, and reducing my temptation to go navigate to other things. Cause if you make that pact with yourself that if I navigate away for, um, you know, 30 seconds, that 30 seconds will turn into five minutes and mm-hmm. th- that five minutes will turn into the whole meeting. You, you kind of have to make a pact with yourself there. But the other way I think about this, Dave, is when I'm leading the meeting um, or when I'm structuring the meeting, what can I do to make sure that people stay engaged? So if we think about some of those classroom facilitation techniques, for instance, mm-hmm. um, people know how to maintain 
learners' attention in the classroom when you can see their faces and and see their eyes and how do we how do we adapt that to an online format? Oh, I want to tell you my favorite story. Okay, let me tell you this, and this is relevant and prescient now because we're doing it too. I was at Gainsight, and we were using our product training that we'd built to help onboard some of our new CSMs and team members. And there were four of them, and a, a winter storm hit at the time, and it was terrible. It was so terrible that we had people, not only in New York and the Midwest that got hit by it, but it was also in Texas where they had snow. Everything was shut down. Nobody could get to us. So we ran a virtual meeting, and I think at the time we were using either GoToMeeting or Zoom. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. But we used that. I call it the Brady Bunch view. Where we had yep, two monitors. <laughs> it is, isn't it? We had two monitors, and one of the monitors was explicitly everybody's face. And we were made sure that we could see everybody. And we told everybody else, do that too. Have everybody's face up on the screen. And then the thing that we'd said is, look, let's hold ourselves accountable. If you drift, buddy system, somebody check somebody else, bump each other on Slack. Um, Let's keep ourselves motivated because if we could see you and we could see your eyes and we could see you're looking down, then we know you're not engaged and we're going to call on you. And those those kinds of things that you do in an online mode for me is, uh, hey, Adam, what did I just say? Oh, my God, that's the most embarrassing thing you ever want to say. But it works because once you yeah, do that just once call, or twice. On people. Yeah, we do this in a classroom or you're teaching at a university. You know, you're, you're scared to death that your professor is going to call you because you've been multitasking and thinking about something else that you shouldn't be or playing a video game on your phone. But I mean, we all do it. Come on. Um, but those kind of things, if you know that you could chagrin someone by calling them in the middle of a class and they haven't been in intention, that brings things back. So there's a couple of things I've tried. Yeah, I agree. It kind of increases accountability a little bit there. I, I agree. Um, I used to be one of those people who I, I know there's conflicting science around whether showing your face during a webcast uh, increases engagement or adds distraction and co- cognitive load. But I found at least for these remote meetings where you have a kind of a, a contained enough group actually being able to see people's faces um, and being able to like ask each other questions and, mm-hmm. and call on each other. It does increase accountability, but it also increases connection right now when, uh, you know, I, I, you, you made the comment that extroverted people are getting depressed right now, but I think everyone is feeling, <laughs> feeling a sense of, uh, of, of isolation. Everybody One is. other thing that we actually tried uh, recently was similar to the format that I was describing earlier, where when we when we train our customers on Slack, we actually do all of the interactivity in a Slack channel. Mm-hmm. We tried this with some of our internal meetings and trainings as well. So we had a slide deck that we were presenting from, but everyone in the room was uh, on Zoom and they had their creative Zoom backgrounds um, up and running. But we actually facilitated a lot of the Q&A. Um, in a Slack channel that was specifically for that training. And we had little icebreakers and interactivities along the way. Um, you know, share share an item from your work from home setup, uh, you know, that, that you're using. Or what is your favorite uh, Zoom background that was posted in the oh. Zoom backgrounds channel? Like things like that that just make the session a little bit more human um, yeah. as well as a little bit more interactive because... Just like in a, a face-to-face meeting, not everyone is going to be comfortable just speaking up the moment you say any questions. As facilitators, <laughs> we always have to remember to wait an uncomfortable amount of time to see if people actually have questions. But bringing some of that into a, a medium like uh, like a direct message or like a channel, ideally a channel because then everyone can see what's being asked, um, <laughs> it really, I think, increases that psychological safety to ask those yeah. questions. Yeah, that that's good protect. You know, I like this like what you said about the virtual backgrounds. Zoom, if any of you are listening, hey, great work on that. I love the virtual backgrounds. Um, and if you can't you enable them, you can make sure. Here's a pro tip: we just found out if your laptop um, said previously that I can't support it, go to Zoom, download the latest version, and chances are you'll you'll have that feature because virtual backgrounds are so much fun. Uh, I know that some people don't like them, but I put. The, the COVID virus drawing in the background. I have a, a neighbor that had... Uh, Dave, down, that's so depressing. It, it, well, when I put... I, my favorite one that I put up was a Costco aisle of Charmin. And <laughs> it looks just like I'm at Costco. I have, uh, I have Abbey Road right now up there, but, the, but all the Beatles are social distancing. <laughs> I've seen that one. That's great. Yeah. 
So, oh. you know, it's, <laughs> again, it, and, and, you know, even after this global pandemic is over, I think there's definitely something to the idea of injecting a little bit of levity um, and a little bit of personality into your meetings, into your trainings. Like, just because you're having a business meeting doesn't mean that you can't also have a little bit of personality. Very, very, very true. So, Dave, I guess we, we talked a little bit about distractions and we talked about how to increase interactivity and, and engaging. I think one other challenge that people find, you mentioned this a moment ago, mm-hmm. that people find when they're bringing their content online is unlike um, a course where you've been doing it live and it's kind of easy just to, I, sh- I shouldn't say easy, it's easier to iterate that content over time as the product changes. Once you have content online, it can start to get a little bit unmanageable to keep up to date with your product because now you've got videos out there and recorded webinars and all sorts of stuff. How do you keep up to date with product changes as you move your content online? So you're talking about uh, perhaps you have a go-to-market meeting like we do every week where you're looking at, okay, this is changing, or or you're talking not just about product changes, you're talking about the content changes itself. Hey, we've got this new piece of content that nobody's seen before. Is that where you're more more talking about that? I mean, I think I think both. I was talking about the former, like because for for people who haven't been doing a lot of online learning, you're probably not maintaining as much content that's out in the wild that needs to be updated on a regular basis. Yeah, and now you are all of a sudden. I know, and this is actually kind of hard, um, especially when you're working with such a high velocity of change, and now you go, okay, who has what? Uh, you know, my experience has been. We now have a professional service team, a sales team, um, my team, support. You have customer success managers. All of them are generating content. And it's actually, there's, there's in, in our case, we do have people orchestrating this or starting to. And they said this very same thing. How do we get all this stuff organized? Um, I guess it really comes down to, in, in my thinking, channels, right? Uh, ideally, you would have a, a, a operating you know, operating center, a base of operations where you're going to have everything listed and you know what all the assets are and where they're going. Maybe you have somebody that triages this. Maybe you have a program manager that, that is actually on deck to help make sure that everything goes to where it goes. So, for example, we have our, our CSM teams have listed a nice, um, an additional doc that helps with training. Um, and it's something that outside the confines of what we've been doing, they've been going and saying, hey, I want to record just a little snippet here and a little snippet there and organize it somewhere. We've done it as simple as a Google Doc. Um, and then, But we could also use your LMS and make a new category and start to store some of those there. Um, again, I'll talk about our product. Uh, and Outreach has a really amazing technology. We, we use um, what are called snippets and templates. And those things can actually be accessible in email. So when you're talking to somebody, go, oh, you have this question, click here. This links to a video. The video's on my LMS. Um, so find yeah, some... Yeah, like having like a macro or something that can yeah, be yeah. expanded. Um, those kind of things. So like getting trying to find some organization and sharing that organization with customers or even internally. So when customers come to you and say, oh my God, I don't know how to do this. Uh, here's an example. We have a thing called a sequence. And the sequence is the lifeblood of the organization. It's when you have a prospect and you're helping to engage someone, you might have a couple of steps, which are an email and then a LinkedIn note and maybe a text and then a call. Well, we've had to change all those because our our environment is different now. So people are saying, well, what happens when I change this? Uh, what's it going to affect? What's going to influence downstream? Is it going to screw up my metrics and my numbers? And like, they're all really good questions. And that's not really directly in in our training documentation that's not even in support. It's stuff like, well, how do we surface this really quick? That's the kind of stuff that we're working on. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that when I think about how to handle something like this, A, you know what you said earlier about making sure that you're plugged in with your product marketing team, your product team, whoever actually is, is handling those changes so you know what's going to change before you... Um, create that content or as you maintain it, that's that's incredibly crucial. Um, I think a lot of people are probably doing that already, even if they're doing um, in-person training. But it's it's going to be a lot more rapid. So what do you do in this environment where all of a sudden you have a ton more content? Yeah. Well, there's, there's two tracks that I can go down. One is the analytics track, mm-hmm. and one is the uh, media creation track. So from an analytics standpoint, part of it is understanding what of your content is 
being viewed on a regular basis um, mm-hmm. and what isn't. So if you have some sort of analytics as far as uh, you know the uptake of the content that you've created, you might be able to tell like, hey, I put this thing out into the world, but it's not really being used anymore. So it's better for me to deprecate this now than to update it over time. And you're not going to know that unless you have some way of tracking how many people have viewed your content to begin with. Right. Um, the other way sometimes that you can get at this, even though it makes a lot of people uncomfortable, is you look at where your customers are giving you feedback. Um, so unless you know what your most viewed content is and you can keep up to speed with making sure that that gets updated, what happens to that long tail of content that um, you haven't thought to update? Mm-hmm. Well, you can see what content is getting upvoted or downvoted or what content is getting high ratings or low ratings, or ideally you have some way for your customers to leave some qualitative feedback as well and say, hey, this is out of date in such and such and such ways. That's going to make a lot of people uncomfortable to handle their content that way. But when you're at a certain volume and working at a certain speed, you kind of need to be comfortable with a little bit of that happening here and there. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of the time, um, if you were to be a perfectionist about it, and if you were to make sure that every time even a minor change happens in your product's UI, well, you're going to spend your entire time just updating content in all sorts of minor ways. Right. You don't want to spend time doing that. You want to make sure that... You know, in, in some ways, the changes are major enough that actually necessitate you redoing that content. So in some ways, you can actually let your customers tell you. Because what I found working across several companies now with several UIs is that um, often a minor change can feel like a big deal internally to you, um, but a customer might not notice it. Mm-hmm. And conversely, it might happen the other way, right? Like you might say, oh, we're making this update to our product, no big deal, but it affects your customers in all sorts of unintended ways. So let your customer tell you as well. Right. Yeah, that, that comes in from different different streams, like you have a CSAT or you have direct surveys for your content or what have you, or they just call our customer success manager and said, hey, I'm lost. Can you help me? But, but that also obviates the need for you to have uh, cross-functional discussions with those teams for example, I saw a huge uptick in on-demand over time, um, and my CSM team were saying, oh, my gosh, the requests for training are off the charts. Uh, so it's like you've got to be connected in many different many different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And when requests for training are, are going off the charts, you also really want to, you want to be able to make sure that for those who will not actually get live, in-person uh, one-to-one training that you have a lot of great self-service resources mm-hmm. for them as well, whether that's recorded webinars or whether that's uh, videos that you produce quickly. And and the point I, I think is worth making here is, especially right now, when you're being asked to do things so quickly, like make a contract with yourself and with the teams who are asking you to do this as far as what level of quality are we expecting and is this thing going to be disposable? Because if you've agreed upfront that low quality and disposable is what's going to help you meet an immediate demand for your customers, mm-hmm. then you're not going to be as focused on hitting some arbitrary uh, quality level as well. And that's not going to work for every business. Some businesses will continue to have high standards, but you really have to make sure that you're you're meeting the needs of your customers at the right time. You're not hitting your own kind of like arbitrary uh, quality standard, especially if the content's disposable. Absolutely. Especially if it's disposable. Yeah, so like nothing's stopping you right now from recording an imperfect version of your live training. Nothing is stopping you from at least taking a grasp at what it might look like to break that up into shorter modules. So how might you take a training that's an hour long and break it up into three to five minute segments? You can do that without a lot of instructional design work, especially if it's disposable and you'll go back and do the the deeper instructional design work later. Yeah, well... This this seems like a good place to seg into part of that mo- modality of where you're making content fast and you're repurposing it. Um, we call this VILT or virtual instructor red training, where what I think you're saying is what I understand, and it's what is very hard for a lot of people to grok and be comfortable with, is that virtual instructor led training is often the best way to bring a live course online. We know that. Now, if you're like me, we're actually being asked to do three different trainings in short order that take some material we already have, but blend it with some of the messaging that we want to get out about how we can use our product in a different context. And what and the, the things here, I think, that you would say, 
and I know I would say is, hey, let's let's get this to market quick. Let's focus on interactivity and getting everybody's attention. So we're we're thinking about making a virtual class, like how can we engage people? And then now, how are we doing that? Well, we're screen sharing. We're using video. Um, maybe maybe you might have a Kahoot or a Slack on the side, or um, you know, there, there's um, oh gosh, what's the other one that we use? Um, of like a polling at Slido. Really love Slido. There's all kinds of things you can do. Yeah, there's lots of little tools there that you can use to create moments of, of interactivity and engagement. Yeah. But but here's what I want to start this section with. Again, we're talking about virtual instructor level. We're talking about getting to market fast. I'm bringing the quote up again. Perfect is the enemy of done. You just talked about this. I, I see so many people, and, and this is so ingrained into us as, uh, I mean, actually just as students. You're going for the perfect. You, you edit it. You do all this. This is what we did in school. We don't have time for that. And a lot of people are like, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. Here's and they start nitpicking content and they start. And, but this is internal. This is not our customer. Timing is critical. We got to get stuff out there. So you need to be comfortable enough to say, OK, hey, I'm going to run a class. Do I have my talking points? Yes. Do I know what I'm going to talk about? Yes. It's frankly, it's very much like, Adam, what you and I are doing right now. We're putting together this this whole virtual instructor-led module in, in the context of a, of, a, of a podcast, but we've, how much time have we spent on this? What would you say? Preparing for it? Yeah. I would say not a lot of time, Dave. Not a lot of time at all. And we can whip it together because we have the subject matter expertise, the domain knowledge, right? These are the people that you want to get. You might not be you. You might be the trainer, but you might say, oh, no. Uh, for example, one of the classes that we're trying to do my trainer who's building it said, uh, I don't have awareness of all of this stuff. And I go, well, let's just bring in the subject matter expert. She's great. And we're like, everybody's happy and it's great. We can do it. So, yeah. So, so if you're, if you're thinking Dave, like if the idea here is you've mm-hmm. got a live course, you want to bring it online, you're probably going to focus on a few things. If you could make a few changes mm-hmm. besides just reading your, your script and your talk track. So what can you do if you're transitioning uh, a live course to an online course and you know you got to do it quick you don't want to get it perfect but what are a few simple things that we can do uh, to make that course work with the new format okay that's a really good question so let's frame it up again we have a live course this is where we go in we have smile sheets we know where everybody goes we have all the exercises and stuff so you know what you're doing right um here's what i do and again we can argue about uh, how our approaches are the same and different uh but what I've always found is that if I've presented something live before in a couple of times, it's not a not a stretch to do it virtually. The hard part about it is is I always ask, what's my audience? How am I going to promote this? And what are the tools? And what are the things that aren't going to aren't going to express well? Like you might have a workshop, for example, and if you have a workshop where you don't have a technology like go to webinar, or go to training, uh, or something with breakout rooms, Adobe Connect is really good for this then if you have sidebar conversations, it's going to be hard. So I always say, okay, look, I'm going to run this like more or less like I do live. And I'll change a few things up. But then I focus on the training and the stack, the technology. Uh, for example, you're if you're running a class, you have to start thinking about things like, well, how am I going to interact with the people that are asking me questions? Because when I'm talking, I you might be talking and I'm like, I don't, you know, in chat and I don't see it. And so that's why you have a co-pilot. So somebody who's, their only job is to watch the chat. They can be multitasking, that's fine. But they're watching the chat and say, Dave, you got a question. Oh, cool. Um, so thinking about stuff like that, and then maybe you have a leave behinds or a document for homework. Maybe you do an office hours to check in with people afterwards so you can condense your content. Um, there's, there's just a rundown of things that you can do. But the main thing I advocate for is knowing the tools that you're going to use first. Um, as soon as you know what you're going to present, know your tools, because you can look so foolish when, for example, you might start up a Zoom, and now Zoom is, is almost by default always making sure that you have to allow people in individually. And that's something that if you've never seen that before, like, oh, my gosh, why aren't anybody here? Well, they're waiting in the wait lobby. Yeah, so it's like, how, how are people going to register? Mm-hmm. How are people going to connect? Are they going to be on video? Are they going to show their faces? How, how are know you going to screen this? share? <laughs> how are they going to ask questions? Um, and how will you promote interactivity? If you can answer those questions, at least, and, and they, aren't, they aren't necessarily hard questions to answer. They're just no. things to know before you go. Um, I think those are, those are really important considerations if you're taking a, a live class and moving to online. 
for interactivity, you mentioned uh, Kahoot's and Slido's. There are free tools out there or relatively inexpensive tools out there that you can use to promote interactivity that you might not have had otherwise in your live course. Exactly. Right. So being able to run little pop quizzes, um, knowledge checks, polls, uh, you can still continue to promote interactivity and reflection. Um, if you have screen sharing capabilities, you can have people uh, demo what they're trying to do in your product. Um, and similarly, you can switch over to your screen and demo what you're trying to do. Some people even have the functionality to be really brave and let the student take control of their screen and their mouse and yeah. uh, uh, click things in their demo environment. So if you already have some of those uh, capabilities, you're probably a little bit further along than, than the average. But if you don't, then you can still screen share, right? Like most people have that out of the box on, on any sort of uh, virtual meeting software. Yeah, totally. You know, I wanted to, to say that that resonates with me a lot. We, we do, our trainers really have found that it's effective for people to click and people to do the, do the leading on their own because that makes it, it makes it stick. And it also takes some of the cognitive load off the trainer because then they're like, okay, well, you do this. And what questions are you having because you're doing this? Uh, so, so those kind of techniques, I'm glad you brought that up. That's really at a powerful technique. Yeah. And, and so then that was virtual instructor-led training. That's what a lot of people are probably going to be doing. Uh, a lot of people will probably take webinars and, and make them very limited interactivity. Mm -hmm. um, but I think people will also start to go further and experiment with more interactive sessions as time goes on and move from more of a webinar style to a, a virtual interactive uh, ILT format. But what about some of that self-service content? I think we will start oh, to see more people embracing the world of light video. Um, you know, Dave, you, you interviewed Wendy Hamilton from uh, TechSmith. I think we're going to see more people using Camtasia and Snagit to do really quick yeah. screen captures and videos. Um, what are some of your suggestions for people who are starting to get in, in the world of doing really quick hit uh, videos? So again, framing it up, it's you and the computer, right? I've got, I've got a message. I want to share it. And I'm going, well, now what? How, how, I don't know anything about instructional design. I don't know about recording videos, right? That's what we're going after. The first, first time or yeah. somebody who hasn't done it a lot and done a little bit. Um, here, here's where it gets interesting because there are a lot of tools out there, a lot of tools out there, but I ended up using some of the similar ones. You could use QuickTime. You could just do some major, some, some, the tools that you have on your desktop. Caveat is while they're there, they're not always the best. Uh, so let's imagine, I'm gonna take a step aside and talk about what I would do. The first time I had to, to record a video, what did I do? I used QuickTime that very first time. It was terrible because it wasn't geared for that. I discovered Camtasia. I discovered Adobe Captivate. Of course, Camtasia is an easy entry point because it's relatively inexpensive as things go. You can get a trial license. And People use ScreenFlow as well. That's, that's another Screen alternative Flow. on Mac. We have CloudApp, which is a really cool tool. Um, it's a, a, a fully cloud-based screen recorder and screen capture tool. Um, so those kind of things are great. You know, Just start up with recognize, again, perfect enemy of done. Just record it. Get a decent mic. It can be your headset. Go and acquire yeah, a room. Matt Pierce from TechSmith, he would always say this. And, and I, actually, I think a lot of people who focus on video say this. Your audio is actually more important mm -hmm. than your video in terms of quality. Yeah. It's bad audio that will turn people off and, and make them click out of your video. Right. It, immediately. You know, I can't hear or it's too high or it's choppy or whatever. Go get a, go, go get a decent mic. You know, I think you just bought, what did you just buy? You bought a new one? I, I always use the Blue Yeti, so I just bought Blue my, uh, this is my third Blue Yeti that I'm on. Yeah, I've got a bunch of Sennheiser, uh, you know, directional mics, uh, and I go a different route. But, you know, regardless, get something that works for you. The reason I go with these is I spent more money on audio interface. So the microphone itself doesn't matter. I can clean it up elsewhere. So get a decent yeah, but if mic. if you get like a good like cardio, cardioid mic or something like that, direct, something directional. Something directional. Yeah, the, I have um, with a blue, but it was terrible because it picked up everything, including the dog and the cat outside and the next door neighbor fighting. So, you know, directional mic, something that limits to you make sure that like if you have to go on a 
go in a closet, <laughs> get something to baffle, get a sound back. Uh, simple things. And and frankly, you can make do with what you've got. I've heard of people recording in their cars because right now if they uh, mm-hmm. live in uh, noisy apartments, going in the car is actually <laughs> a yeah. better way to record. But pretty well Hopefully sound- that'll change as time goes on. Pretty well sound insulated. But then again, there's a lot of free tools out there. Find something that works for you that's pretty simple. There's a lot of screen cap stuff. And again, I... I we're not paid to do so, but I really love the Camtasia suite of products Snagit and Camtasia are inexpensive and easy to get started with. And, and that's a great place to start, but there's many, many more. And then sit down and be quiet and think about what you're doing. I think, and before I stop talking, I'll say one other thing. Keep it short. Hardest short. Hardest short is short, Dave. Um, you know, I like to say like three to five minutes, uh, and depending, and like if I have just a couple of points, try to stay on topic. If you're making a short video, one topic, right? This is it. I'm going to talk about it briefly. Uh, and I, I'm telling you, it's not an attention span thing. It's reality. People get bored after a certain point. I've been watching a bunch of really cool videos on YouTube lately that, uh, gosh, one, one is on 1800s cooking. Um, I don't ask me why I'm doing this, but I, I really love to see how people create content. But they're eight to 12 minute long. And I find myself getting bored at three minutes because a lot of these videos are, they have the setup and then have this glitz and glamor and stuff like that. Get rid of all that. Focus on the core content, get it to people and you can do it quickly. And if it's not polished, it's okay. So yeah, what, I mean, it, it depends, right? Like I can yeah. watch like uh, I can watch an hour long ContraPoints video essay and uh, <laughs> I'll be captivated the entire way through. But if if my goal in going to that video was not to be intellectually stimulated and and grapple with a really difficult subject, but rather just to, to learn how to use uh, a feature or a workflow in a piece of software, then the, the time has yeah. to correlate to that. But I agree, like keep things short, Keep them modular. Mm-hmm. Really think about, you know, if, if you don't have a good reason for going outside of that, like two, three, four, five minute range, uh, you know, maybe maybe think of that as your default. Like, how would I break up my content into that length? And I know that that is not an instructionally designed sanctioned thing to say. <laughs> but really, if you're just learning how to start doing this for the first time, just use that as your entry point and yeah. figure out whether you need to go longer or shorter. Yeah. Um, a couple of other topics here maybe focus on on the why not just the what so if you're doing your explainer videos for the first time you're doing product walkthroughs uh demos uh it's helpful if you can share again even if you're just doing this informally at the beginning and you're not working from a super tight script at least start by explaining like why you would want to do the thing that you're doing in your product so that it starts out being relevant Mm -hmm. to uh the learner and you're not just showing them like a random product feature for the sake of showing them a product feature. Because the moment you start doing videos, you're going to get a lot of pressure from your marketing teams mm-hmm. or from your product teams or from uh, whoever it is internally to say, oh, well, do a video on this feature, do a video on this feature. It's usually not as helpful as actually doing video about how features fit together into um, kind of a, a workflow that would make sense for your customers. Exactly. It's all good and stuff. And then uh, what else? Um, abstracting your UI. That's that's helpful. There, there are some products out there with the ability to take some of the detail out of your uh, user interface. Mm-hmm. And if you do something like that, that actually is going to help your product videos remain a little bit more evergreen. Because now if you change a little detail about the UI in your product, it's not going to be reflected in the video. And so you'll actually you'll actually be able to update them less often. Yeah. So that could be an interesting one. Yeah, I like that. And we've done that for some things and abstracted away from our platform. And that does is one really big thing that, that you were just saying is, hey, my product updated. Well, my abstraction here still applies. So it's, yeah, it's like really if, good. if you either have video uh, software that will kind of scan your UI and turn like little text strings into blocks or things like that. Mm-hmm. So it looks a little bit more like a prototype uh, than the actual UI of your product. Like that could be really helpful and will reduce some cognitive noise potentially for your customer as well. Right. Usually um, and then like, nice. you know, also on that point maybe of, of doing more conceptual videos, it's those conceptual videos, those like explainer videos that don't necessarily feature your product that will also mm-hmm. last longer. So when you're describing not just your, your product, but rather a concept related to your product, like for example, at Optimizely, we would do videos that were not just how to use Optimizely, but 
what is optimization or how should you think about running this type of test? Mm -hmm. um, those are, tend to last a lot longer because like the concept of how to A-B test isn't going to evolve as quickly as the interface of a product. Yeah, and I think I'm glad you bring this point up, uh, Adam, because it's it's kind of hard to do that. You'll necessarily jump in and just do a screen recording first. And, and that's what we all kind of tend to do because it's there. And then we don't think, oh, well, if I went to this next level of presentation, then this is going to last longer. So that's a really good point. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, just being candid with our audience here, we uh, are reaching the end of the time slot that we've allotted here. We're going to mm -hmm. have to jump to other meetings at our respective businesses because things are moving <laughs> fast and furious for both of us. But just to close out, um, I, I hope that this was helpful for people who are transitioning to online content in a very short period of time. But as we close out, we want to say that this is this is our passion project. Um, we're, we're doing this as a service back to the community. So if you have thoughts and ideas or things that you want to learn about, please submit them on our website, which is uh, customer.education. So HTTPS colon slash slash customer.education. Or if you're in um, the customer education Slack channel, LinkedIn, any way that you know to get in touch with us, please tell us what you would like to hear about, and we will we will work to make that a part of the show. Yeah, that's great. You can go to the top of our page to submit a question or a topic, or just contact us, and and we'll get back to you. Sometimes this takes a takes a little bit of time, so if you do reach out, uh, just be patient. We'll we'll reach out back to you. We we might do a, a call in show in the future Ooh, or yeah. a mailbag show. So it's I'll plant that seed right now. Oh. Uh, we'd also like to encourage you to get out there and help others, right? Pay it forward. Your internal teams might need coaching on how to use tools like yours. Your kid's school could use help. Lend a helping hand wherever you can. Absolutely. So with that, let's wrap up, Adam. If you want to learn more, again, uh, Adam just said that our website is customer.education. You can find all our material there. And I am at Dave Darrington on the Twitters. I am at Afromescu on those self-same Twitters. Special thanks to Alan Coda for our theme music. And if this helped you out, again, subscribe in your podcaster of choice. You know what? It really helps us if you leave a review on iTunes. If you like what Apple Podcasts, as it's now called. Apple Podcasts. You know, can't keep up with all that. Uh, that really helps us expose our podcast to other people. So thank you for joining us. Go out, educate, experiment, find your people. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.